If Christ is king, how should the Christian consider the kingdoms of this world? What does the Bible teach us about human authority and what it means to love our neighbors and our enemies? Before we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, let's know what it means to render unto God what is God's. This is the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, the modern prophetic voice against war and empire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. This week and every week on Biblical Anarchy, we seek to live counterculture to the empire of man and to instead seek the kingdom of God by unpacking what the Bible teaches about government, authority, and human relationships. I am your host, Jacob Daniel. I'm excited today for the conversation that I'm about to have with our guest, Irene, who I actually just met the night before at a uh, comedy show and live production of Part of the Problem podcast with Dave Smith and Mises Caucus people and all that, which was a lot of fun. We had had it scheduled for today anyway, and just God's timing works out, I guess, or something. It was pretty funny. But Irene is a member of the Libertarian Party over in Delaware, and she does a lot of work in the Liberty Movement. She is a co-founder of a group called Liberty Speaks, and Liberty Speaks is a sponsor of a anti-war rally that is going to happen in February down in D.C. called Rage Against the War Machine. And I thought that it would be interesting and worthwhile to have her on to talk about her and her background and the things that she does as a fellow Christian libertarian and as someone who was anti-war and just to explore her background and explore this anti-war rally and all the things going on in our world today and how they connect to our faith. And so Irene's going to join us for a conversation about all these different things. So Irene, thanks for joining the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been very interesting being in the Christian libertarian space, and it was so wonderful to meet you last night. And I got to witness Dave Smith's testimony, which you had already heard, but I had not heard. So I thought that was just a great moment for us. So thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. So Irene, I wanted to give you a chance here at the beginning even though I already gave a little bit of information, to introduce yourself and to tell us who you are, what your background is, and the different things that you do in the Liberty Movement. And then we can go into the conversation from there. Okay, well, thank you so much. So I'm a physician, I'm a Christian, I'm a mother, and I'm the Kent County Chair of the Libertarian Party of Delaware and the State Board Rep. I'm also co-founder of Liberty Speaks, which is a nonpartisan nonprofit that seeks to promote the ideas of liberty competition outside of the libertarian space. You can think of it as an outreach to promote those concepts with other liberty-minded people, but doesn't force them to join the libertarian party per se, which is why the Rage Against the War Machine event that we'll talk about is the perfect organization and coalition for Liberty Speaks to join. I also founded an organization called Delaware Initiative for Science and Ethics that was formed in 2020 in response to the COVID measures and concerns about the mRNA vaccines and biologics. And we did a presentation to the Department of Public Health about a year ago 
discussing potential issues related to how the COVID pandemic was handled. In addition, I'm working on a project with the Amish in Pennsylvania. They had a lot of concerns with how they were treated in the times of COVID as it relates to their religious beliefs. So I've been meeting with board members in the Amish community in Pennsylvania for the last few months. That's a new project. For the Libertarian Party of Delaware, we just started a new program, Liberty Story Hour. We did our first event up in Newark, and I was able to read a Tuttle Twins book to some children at a local library. And I'm working on having that into libraries in Kent County. And I think that that is a very, very important endeavor. In addition to that, I'm an advisor to the Mike Termet for president campaign. He's, of course, a libertarian. So that's my other endeavors. In addition to the fact that I'm a member of the Townsend Church, which is a local church in Delaware. Awesome. I'm a big fan of the Tuttle Twins. We have these, what they're called like mini libraries set up all over the county where I live. And I love to take like Tuttle Twin books or like Henry Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson, or I also have a pile of the books that LCI published, the Faith Seeking Freedom books. And I love to put them wherever I can, sort of spread the propaganda. That's great. Actually, I'm working with the libraries. It's just the beginning of the project. The plan is to have the Libertarian Party of Delaware donate to these two libraries. And then just in the starts of discussing with a middle school principal, having me and some other libertarians come in and do some sort of elective once a month in the high school to discuss, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness and Austrian economics and things like that to the high schoolers. So those projects are very important to me. And I think it's great. Yeah. So I want to talk more in detail now about the group that you co-founded, which is a sponsor of this upcoming rally, Liberty Speaks. Could you go more into detail about like what the organization is, what it does, why you founded it, and sort of just everything involving that? Well, Liberty Speaks actually was an originally an event in 2021. It was our pre-convention event. And due to a lot of issues related to what was going on in the Libertarian Party, it really became necessary for me to make it a separate event. And it was a really successful pre-convention event. Maj Tor and Michael Heiss and Angela McArdle and a whole bunch of other people, Spike Cohen came. And after that, I just felt that there was a need to have a liberty-minded organization that wasn't necessarily part of the Libertarian or the Mises Caucus or any of the other caucuses. So I made it into a 501c4, and Jorge Basada joined as a co-founder and has been part and parcel to my journey of understanding Austrian economics because I'm a staunch medical freedom, Christian-based libertarian, and the economics part of it was a big deficit for me. So I've been learning a lot from him. And of course, he made the website and things like that. So we've had two events and we are now part of this Rage Against the War Machine coalition. I'm also helping out because I'm a libertarian and part of the leadership in my state. And so Liberty Speaks became a bronze sponsor for this event, which is February 19th at the Lincoln Memorial. Awesome. And of course, just a caveat for our listeners, obviously LCI, we 
don't make any official endorsements of political parties or candidates or things like that. But we, of course, like to talk about those things because people like that are, you know, at least doing things that we think we should talk about and that, you know, those people and organizations are going to talk about ideas that we want to bring up in conversation because there are opportunities to educate, to have enriching conversations such as this one. So Liberty Speaks being a sponsor for this upcoming Rage Against the War Machine rally. Can we talk a little bit more about the event now and what is the event about? Who is attending? What is the purpose of it? So Rage Against the War Machine is a coalition of organizations that are across the political spectrum And it's an amazing experience to work with people all the way to the left. So Nick Branagh of the People's Party and Angela Mercado of the Libertarian Party are the two main sponsors, the two main organizers, and the two leaders in this coalition. And then we have a plethora of other organizations, including Liberty Speaks, that are various levels of sponsors. And what's so remarkable about this coalition is that I'm intimately involved in the work group that has been planning this. And I just feel like this coalition gives me hope for humanity, to be perfectly honest with you. And I get very sappy and emotional about it because it doesn't really matter if the duopoly keeps trying to split us over all these divisive politics and other issues that we're not going to agree on but we can stand behind some basic things that humanity needs to come to agree upon, which is these endless foreign wars. And that is one of the biggest reasons why Liberty Speaks is a sponsor of this event, which is February 19th at the Lincoln Memorial, which I'm so excited about. Yeah, I mean, take my LCI cap off for a second and to put my, it's not a problem for me to talk about just personally how I'm a member of the Libertarian Party and the Mises Caucus. And coalitioning is something that I've also been equally encouraged by in my experience and also just witnessing things like this event. And sometimes if we pay too much attention to mainstream media, I think, I hate calling them that, but I don't know. There's not a good name for them. Mainstream media, legacy media, fake news, media, whatever. But (laughs) if you pay too much attention to that or to even Twitter, you can just think that people aren't able to coalition anymore these days, that it's all about political tribalism and it's us versus them and everyone is just at like ideological war with each other. But I've seen within the liberty movement and also just within like the anti-war movement, what you've suggested people from left, right, center. We see people from religious and non-religious backgrounds, really all walks of life that are just coming together to support single-issue causes such as this one. And maybe some people who are listening, I mean, I can't imagine anyone listening would not understand why someone would hold an anti-war rally because there's wars going on. There's Russia, Ukraine. There's There was the war power resolution regarding Yemen that was brought up and then (laughs) taken back down by Bernie Sanders uh, a couple months ago. So I'm sure people are aware that there is a lot of geopolitical turmoil and military conflict going on in the world right now. But I think for a lot of people, they see these things and 
they want outcomes for these things that align with like American interest and or some other ideal, but their position on it isn't just like a ideological position of I'm anti-war and all of these wars and conflicts need to end. So I want to have a conversation a little bit about that first, kind of still sticking with the rally a little bit here at the moment. What is a rally like this hoping to accomplish with getting all these people together in this sort of massive coalition? Both what are we trying to communicate to the politicians and the military leaders who are the ones who are sort of putting their fingers on the scales and the dials here, controlling all this? And then what are we trying to communicate to the people who are going to hear about this rally or that might attend it, whether they intend it intentionally or they just happen to see it and come to check it out? What are we, what messages are we trying to send to these different groups of people? I think it's twofold. And then I'll read to you the list of demands. I think one of the most important parts of this coalition is to demonstrate that we are not necessarily constrained to duopoly politics and that as human beings, we don't have to be split over our disagreements over a God, abortion, sexual identity, gays, and other gender issues. That we can agree to disagree. We can work locally and within our churches to address these issues, but we don't have to define ourselves by these divisive issues when in reality, we really just want food, water, shelter, love, and community. We just differ from the left as libertarians in how we believe that we should be able to get there, right? So as a Christian libertarian, you know, I believe in free market competition as the pathway to the best civil and liberty-based society. So that's one thing that I think that this rally shows. And the demands that they have are quite interesting. It's not one more penny for the war in Ukraine. Negotiate peace. Stop war inflation. Disband NATO. Global nuclear de-escalation. Slash the Pentagon budget. Abolish the CIA and the military-industrial deep state. Abolish war and empire. Restore civil liberties. And free Julian Assange. So you have groups from across the political spectrum agreeing on these demands. And we're going to meet at the Lincoln Memorial, then walk over to the White House, deliver the demands, and then we're going to have a whole bunch of other activities subsequent to that. And it's on the website, rageagainstwar.com. And I think from a Christian perspective, am I a pacifist? I don't think I'm a pacifist necessarily. I think we have two different types of concepts for most Christians, are you a pacifist or do we accept that there are just wars? And is this a just war? And do we really have to be here? Well, that's surely not for me to decide. But as a Christian and a libertarian, it's this endless wars with the military industrial complex. Just think about the history of what war comes from. Back in the day, you had kings who had arguments with other kings and instead of killing each other, they decided to have people kill each other and others. And then the people became involved in killing for the leaders of the different types of countries. 
that's a really quick evolution of how we get to these wars. But boy, we have come a very long and horrible and deadly way from all of that. And I just don't think that over ideas, myths, and misunderstandings, humans should be slaughtering each other on the battlefield. Yeah, it's very reminiscent even of one of my favorite Bible passages to bring up is First Samuel 8. And often I bring it up in the context of just showing that God really didn't want the Israelites to ask for a king. They didn't, he didn't want a monarchy for them. He said that asking for a king was a form of idolatry. You know, they told Samuel they're rejecting me as their king. But also in the warnings he gives out that the Lord gives out through Samuel about the king that they're going to get, he says, and you're going to serve on the front lines of his wars and you're going to build his war chariots and his war horses and all of that. And it's like, you're going to be his slaves. And whether it was the old ancient monarchies or the monarchies of Europe and stuff, yeah, it's like people just became cannon fodder for the ruling elites. And now that's still playing out today, although it's playing out with even more just weapons of destruction that people hundreds and thousands of years ago just couldn't even begin to comprehend. So it's definitely concerning, I think, from a libertarian and a Christian perspective. And so we, yeah, we want to show people that it's possible to take a principled stand against this sort of like senseless violence and to make demands of these ruling elites that they don't have a right to do this to us or to other people. Certainly not to do it with the taxation and printing of millions of, you know, billion, millions, gosh, I wish it was only millions. I'm massively underselling it by saying millions, billions and billions of dollars, trillions of dollars into the military industrial complex, into the, into Ukraine during this current conflict. What would you say? I mean, there are other people who probably, like I just had a conversation, as you know, with Scott Horton the other day, who Man, you know, you ask him, hey, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and how should we respond to that as just people, you know, libertarians and Christians and whatnot? And then you sit back and wait 45 minutes for him to stop talking. <laughs> but Scott gave a really good libertarian answer. But I'm curious, when you see what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, do you have anything that you would say to that from not just a libertarian perspective, but from a Christian perspective in terms of how the conflict started and just America's ongoing support of Ukraine and just sort of this policy of, well, we won't make any concessions and we will just continue to pour all this money and support into the situation on the Ukrainian side and just expect that Russia is going to back down and that there, there aren't going to be any consequences to this and whatever to the millions of people getting caught up in the crossfire here. Right. I don't think that the Bible teaches us to indiscriminately decide who we think is good and evil based on complex issues that are going on between Russia and Ukraine. So you have all these people saying Russia's evil and Ukraine is good. That's a complex interrelationship. And it makes me very uncomfortable when people use the good and evil terms in that way. There are certain things that we know are evil, right? we clearly know that are evil. And, you know, the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not murder, right? So there's a difference between murdering 
and killing, right? We can all agree that murdering someone, which is killing someone for no reason, is absolutely something that Christians are not supposed to do. So the point I'm trying to make is I just feel uncomfortable as a Christian espousing that, oh, Russia's evil or Ukraine's evil or vice versa. The overwhelming majority of Ukrainians don't have any problem with the overwhelming majority of Russians or the overwhelming majority of United States citizens or the people of Europe. Because in the end, we're really just humans. And it goes back to arguments over private property and land. And it just seems that we're so caught up in deciding who is good and who is evil, that that puts us down a pathway that totally pulls us away from proper negotiation. I think we need to really look at it as myths, misunderstandings, and other non-good evil ideas that have led to this conflict and understand that really people just want life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, a place to live. And if we could just put that into a critical mass of people that talk to their governments and act out and speak out and have activism and really understand true freedom, then I think that we can actually make some headway. I mean, really, if you look at the whole conflict, many people have suggested that they demilitarize the whole zone, make it independent country with free migration of Ukrainians and Russians. This has been proposed many, 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 many times. It's just so lost on me why we don't push more for negotiation and we're sending tanks, just escalation. And we're just this tribalistic, escalating, confused, falling world men that want to kill each other over land. Again, for a million years. Well said. So, We are both professing Christians, and we've kind of touched a little bit on it, but I want to get more into the nitty-gritty here as to what the Christian basis is for the anti-war position. And I know for me, like one of my favorite passages to bring up is Romans 12, which tells us that we are to love not just our neighbors, but to love our enemies and to, insofar as it depends on us, live at peace with all. I'm with you with what you said earlier that I'm not a pacifist. I do believe in the legitimate use of force in self-defense and in the defense of others who are victims of someone else who is initiating violence. But I think that there is, A, just a world of difference between sort of localized, legitimate self-defense or some sort of libertarian adjudication of justice against those who have committed an act of violence or criminal activity against someone else. And these wards of massive scales, which like you said, there's so much complexity to it that you really can't boil it down to just good guys and bad guys and say, Ukraine is 100% in the right and Russia is 100% in the wrong. Equally, despite what some people try to accuse people in our camps of saying, I'm also not saying that Russia is 100% in the right and Ukraine is 100% in the wrong. There are many missteps, I think, on both sides. And I think as a Christian, if we're going to take the Bible seriously, and it says, insofar as it depends on you, live at peace with all, well, I think that means insofar as it depends on you, to me, speaks 
you need to exhaust every possible option of finding a peaceful resolution when you are looking at any conflict, whether it's a group of two people or a group of 200 people or a group of 20 million people or 200 million people. We need to be advocating for the most peaceful solutions to whatever problems that we are facing. And it just doesn't seem to me that war is something that we ever actually get to if we try exhausting all other options first. I guess there's possible, you know, I can maybe possibly conceive of a just war theory where maybe there is some kind of like, hey, hypothetical situation where people have true, truly exhausted every possible situation and then truly engage in a somewhat just defensive war of some sort. But I can't really in our life, in my lifetime or in history, look back and find many that get even close to fitting that bill. So, I mean, that's my perspective on it, but I'd love to hear you chime in on the subject with your thoughts. So my Christian journey over the last year or two has been significant. And if we want, we can talk about that later. But in my day-to-day life, I do this little exercise in my head, right? Because God is always watching. And if you, in your thoughts, words, and deeds, if you make sure you're impeccable with those and you remember that, things usually go pretty well. You usually find a way to behave yourself and not go against the commandments at least. And I think that, which is not going to happen, I understand this, if the whole world, which they're not believers, I understand, just thought about the idea that everything we're doing is being watched by this kind, loving God. How awful are we sometimes? And we have these people, just like in the medical industrial complex and the pharmaceutical industrial complex and the military industrial complex and these Warhawk ideologues sitting in these positions in the state because, of course, those types of people tend to achieve those positions in the state. If someone could just get them to realize that they need to step out of their ideological box and look at the big picture because that's where I get stuck on the whole thing from my Christian perspective. We literally really are just human beings just trying to have food, water, shelter, love, and community. And we're literally having wars over private property, essentially. And the wars are really a few leaders in a few countries creating the situation. Because the people of these countries for the most part, don't hate each other. I don't hate Ukrainians or Russians. So that's my big picture take on things. The Bible teaches us to be kind and loving and love thy neighbor and follow the Ten Commandments and not murder. And we're so far away from that in this falling world that when you think about our all-loving, all-knowing God watching this, it should make people really embarrassed about what they're doing. Yeah. Well, there's people on both sides of, like, for example, this conflict in Russia and Ukraine. There's people on both sides who are not only Christian, but are part of the Orthodox Church. And it's like, what kind of, I mean, first of all, what kind of witness and testimony is that, that you have two sides of a church warring against each other? That's just insane. And then beyond that, what kind of message does it preach in terms of 
how are we reflecting Christ? And then also, if what we do is to the least of these, we've done unto him, well, then I don't know. Like, are we telling Jesus that we're going to bomb him and we're going to kill hundreds of thousands of people because they just happen to live in a particular block of geography? I don't see that in the Bible. I mean, I think of, I think it's Corinthians where Paul says that there's, and if I'm wrong about the book or whatever, it, this is, people will know the passage. It's that we are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no Jew, nor Greek, no slave, no master, no male, no female. We are all one. And I mean, I think that speaks to that. We are called to not view people in these, everyone's an, an individual. Everyone's a human being and we're all created in the likeness of God and everyone should be judged on their own merits. And, you know, and if there's specific people who are initiating violence or evil against other people, then we should do something about those individuals, but we can't go and punish those few select evil individuals' neighbors for the evil actions of those few individuals. That's just not, that doesn't comport with the Bible. It doesn't comport with the example and the, the example of Christ and the revelation of God that he gave us. So, and yeah, I just, I don't know how you can tell people. I talked about this on an episode back before Christmas, back in the new year, before the new year, about like, remember, you ever hear the Christmas truce of 1914 and how, yeah, it was in World War One and German and I think it was German and French soldiers or the German and British soldiers, I forget, just on, on Christmas Eve started singing Christmas carols and then met halfway in the trenches and negotiated a ceasefire and celebrated Christmas together. And, but then like two days later, went back to shooting each other. It's just like, and you got to think like all those people were there by the orders of their government <laughs> fighting in a conflict that really none of them probably understood. And if Jesus said our kingdom is not of this world, as Christians, I think the only kingdom in nationality, so to speak, if you want to use that term that we should care about is our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. And we shouldn't be killing other people who, you know, we shouldn't be killing other people who are professing Christians who are citizens of that same kingdom. And there's other people who aren't Christians yet. Well, those are the people we're supposed to be reaching the gospel with. Those people we're supposed to be loving. And it's like, how can you tell, how can you tell the world we're here to love you, show you the love of God? You know, America's people, you know, especially like maybe you don't hear this as much on the Democrat side anymore, but like on the Republican side, they still like to tout their Christian evangelical rhetoric and view America as this Christian nation. But it's just like, where does Jesus and the Tomahawk missiles that get dropped on people's houses or on schools or hospitals and stuff? It's sickening and heartbreaking. Yeah, I agree. There's a couple of things that you mentioned that I think are important to discuss. I'm actually baptized Greek Orthodox, so that's the Eastern Orthodox Right. I currently go to a Baptist church, but it's an interesting journey. And those are the same rights as a lot of the Orthodox Christians. And what breaks my heart about this world is in the name of purported gods has so many, this is not a religious war, but in general in the world, a lot of the killing has been in the name of God per se. And I just find it such a profound, heartbreaking truth of this world that we live in 
that people who profess to be someone who worships an all-loving God would kill needlessly, right? So that's murder as opposed to killing because someone's trying to kill you and things like that. But the other thing to turn our Christianity into quintessential take human action concepts, what can we do as Christians? Well, we're supposed to bring people with us to church and to the ideas of Christianity, but also to run for local elections so that we are part of the process, right? That's the biggest thing about the caucus and things like that. And so the more of us that are actively engaged and involved in our community, the more important it is and the better things will be, in my opinion. Yeah, there's something to that. And I think a lot of Christians sometimes, like if you try to reach them with the arguments that we've laid out about why we're against war and why we're and why we're libertarians, they come back and we're like, how are we supposed to solve these these worldly, global, complex problems? They think that we're living in a fantasy land. And I think what you laid out is actually like what people don't understand is the actual solution. It is that Misesian idea of taking human action. And I think that lines up with what the Bible tells us to do. Like Jesus didn't tell us to go and conquer nations or control nations and wield the sword and use the might of the state to bring Christianity to the world. That's sort of what the Jewish people wanted Jesus to Jesus. They wanted Jesus to be a political Messiah who would beat back the Romans and usher in a new earthly kingdom. But that's not what Jesus was about. And instead, what we're called to do is we're called to go evangelize. We're called to go be salt and light. And I think that has to happen at that local level. And now you don't have to do it in politics. You can just, there's many different ways you can serve your community and be a community leader and be that sort of light and salt. You know, the church needs to play a role. People, yes, running for local offices and local positions where they can serve the community, that plays a role. Just mutual aid and goodwill between neighbors, that serves a role. There's a lot of different ways we can do it, but it's at that local level that the work gets done. And what makes it, if you have enough Christians actually doing that, that impacts the culture, which that, I mean, we've seen throughout history that when Christians actually do live out the call of what were the tradition that we've inherited, that it does change the world, that it does radically transform lives, and that it does bring peace to the nations. The problem is we haven't consistently lived out that call. And it reminds me of when you know Israel falls away from God, they get conquered by a foreign nation, and they fall into an era of darkness and violence. And the church is, we got to get our <laughs> we got to get our stuff together. We got to get back to doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is I agree, it's a hundred percent just in at the local level in your local church and your local community, go be the light of Jesus to those around you. It's that simple, I think. Right. I agree. And I had this conversation last night on the way to the Dave Smith event with a friend of mine from church who called me for a whole other reason. Because I was driving to Dave Smith, which was an hour and a half from where I live. I live in Southern Delaware. And I was saying to her, there's no way that I'm going to get up for church tomorrow morning and 
be capable of having a conversation with a podcaster at eight o'clock. And I didn't want to be incoherent. And I said, but you know, I want to go to this event and I do represent my Christianity well. And I interact with my fellow libertarians and they all know my Christian beliefs. And there was other reasons that I wanted to go to this event and part of my missions that I do. And she reminded me, our pastor says it all the time. He said, please don't just come to church, read your Bible and quote Bible verses at me and check your boxes. You have got to have a personal relationship with God and you have to be outward and you have to bring your Christianity, even if it's just your love, peace and kindness outwardly, right? You represent a Christian in your day-to-day existence, which is another one of those exercises that I do on a daily basis to remind myself I'm representing myself, but I'm also representing who I am as a person in all these different facets. And she said, of course, you should do your missions and you should do the things that you do. And we can watch it on YouTube anyway. So I watched it on YouTube while I was doing some things at the house. And we've been in Acts for forever. So... (laughs) So it was a great sermon. And then for me, just personally, for someone that is on the busy side, whenever I drive, I listen to audio Bible because I have less time to read. So it keeps me in the word. And I've probably been through it 20 times the last year because I listen to it all the time. But it's really helpful for me to stay in the word. And so the point that I'm trying to make is that. The ideas of bodily autonomy, the ideas of the right to self-preservation, the idea that you should have control over your own life, the idea that God gave us free will, we surely shouldn't be subject to the will of the state if our Creator gave us free will. Libertarianism and Christianity, for me, make all the biggest sense in how I live my life. And let's talk about the abortion issue, right? So I was an alternate delegate at convention and I made sure that I voted to take abortion off the plane. And the reason why is because it's a local community issue and we can work in our communities to get abortion to not happen anymore. I wholeheartedly am an advocate for that. But dividing a party over an issue that we're not going to agree on, which is classic duopoly, divisive politics to split us on all the other issues so we don't pay attention to all the other things that we all agree on, is just not helpful. So sometimes we have to just be pragmatic about our situations. That does not make me an abortion advocate. Yeah. And there's something there too in what you're saying that try to draw it out, we're called to be the actors in the change of the society. And I think there's a little bit of slothfulness or laziness or lack of creativity in a lot of people in the Christian spheres right now where they don't want to do that hard work. To them, it seems easier to just get the state to write a law. Oh, and then the work's getting done for us. And you see that it doesn't matter if it's right-wing evangelical Christianity or progressive Christianity. You know, right-wing Christianity does it with trying to 
ban things like abortion or homosexuality or different things that that they say that are bad and sinful and whatnot. And I would agree. I think those things are sinful, but I don't think that we're called to use the might of the state to come down on those people. And I don't want the state funding abortion or necessarily enshrining homosexuality, but I don't want the state involved in it, period. You know what I mean? Those are things that are better handled at the local level and through relationships with people. And that's where the actual work can be done. And then progressive Christianity looks at like, oh, well, we have to take care of the poor and the orphan and the widow and the downtrodden. So they advocate for the massive welfare state and universal health care. And it's like, well, no, but that's not you taking care of these people. That's you wielding the might of the state to reappropriate wealth from some people, which is theft, and give it to other people. There's nothing virtuous about that. There's no individual agency or heart in what you're doing. It's just weaponizing these this monopoly of violence that the state is to try to do the things that you're called to do as an individual follower of Jesus Christ. And I think that's definitely a problem. And I think that's why I agree. It's like, to me, libertarian and Christianity, they don't just go together. To me, it's like, I can't see any other way to engage politically as a Christian than as a libertarian. And I think that it's just a natural consequence of letting your faith seep into all areas of life, including your politics. Right, exactly. And so many good points in what you just said. First of all, by no means should the government be subsidizing Planned Parenthood, right? And Planned Parenthood is a major problem on so many levels, right? Because they supply the low-cost birth control pills that you pretty much have to take at the exact same time every day, which a teenager is never going to do. And then they're there conveniently when they accidentally get pregnant and they have a FedEx charge for the parts that are subsequently sold for research and things like that. That's true. Um, And the state is not going to end the calamities of our culture. Changing hearts and minds is going to change hearts and minds and get us to have a better and more civil society. And the state is definitely not going to be the ones to legislate us into a more free and happy society. Why? Because central planners are coercive and monopolistic, and they're not subject to the competition of ideas, which gives us freedom, which gives us a more ordered and civil society. So it doesn't make any sense to feel like the state is going to come and help us with these things. And by no means has it actually helped us with these things. It just simply hasn't. And we've gone so far away from basic freedoms, culminating in the quintessential example of centralized planning going awry with COVID mania. It's just a symptom of the problems of coercive government and central planning that created a huge debacle in our lives. Yeah, you would think that Most people can point to a few areas where they know the state does a bad job at trying to control and micromanage areas of life, whether it's health and things going on in response to pandemics or whether it's the economy or whether it's 
the roads, I mean, <laughs> which is the common, you know, but what about my roads? It's like the roads, like they can't even get that right. <laughs> how are we supposed to trust them? If we can't trust them with the roads, how do we trust them with complicated geopolitical matters like this? It's like, it's just a matter of just consistently not putting faith in these very fallen, very sinful, very evil institutions. And instead, to me, putting faith in the free market, it's not putting it's not putting faith in human goodness, because I understand as a Christian, we we don't view humans as 100% intrinsically good. We're, we're sinful. We have a fallen nature and all that, which can be redeemed through Christ, but we still live in a fallen world. But even though freedom means that there's still going to be problems, the response to that isn't to then go like, well, let's just institutionalize evil and corruption and coercion and violence to try to use it's like we're going to use we're going to monopolize and institutionalize theft and violence towards people and their property to protect people and their property it's like that's just <laughs> it doesn't work and it's the greatest propaganda campaign that's ever succeeded that we've convinced hundreds of millions and billions of people that this is the best way to organize a society rather than a rather than the spontaneous order of the free market, which to me is just, it's going back to the garden and saying, you know what, let's go back to not thinking we know better than God. Let's not try to build the Tower of Babel. Let's just submit to God in his natural order and do things his way. And that's hard. We probably are far off from getting there, but we got to start making those steps towards it. And Christians especially, I think, should be leading the charge of freedom and leading the charge of calling out the tyranny of the state and definitely not being apologists for those things and definitely not being apologists for these awful wars that are killing millions and millions of people. And in the name, like I said, in the name of God sometimes, which I mean, sometimes I think people get confused sometimes over the second, not the second commandment, the, uh, which one is it that you will not take the name the name of the Lord in vain? It's like that's less so about like using curse words when you're angry and more so about like if you're doing evil in the name of God. That's just utter blasphemy and you definitely should not be doing that. So, Irene, we're coming to a close here. I want to give you a chance to respond to anything I just said. And then because this rally is coming up, you know, this podcast will probably release later this week, probably Thursday, which will be the 2nd of February. And then the event I know is February 19th, but I wanted to give you a chance here at the end, uh, any closing thoughts on the threads of conversation that we've had, which I've enjoyed. And then if you want to last minute plug the event, tell people where to go if they want to come, if they want to donate, if they want to share it around on social media and help promote it. So go ahead with all that. Great. Thank you. Just one or two points that what you just said about not taking the Lord's name in vain and what that really means. And I think it can mean so many things on so many different levels. And I think that's really important for people to understand the magnitude of how wrong these things that humans do to each other are. On the idea of the state and the roads, I want to tackle the roads. So when you say you're a libertarian, they're like, but who will be build the roads? And I just re-listened to Anatomy of the State 
and the Reader's Digest condensed version of A Road to Serfdom this week. And in it's obvious to me that we clearly are not saying that we shouldn't take care of basic needs, right? And even have a universal basic income potentially and houses and things like that. But then after that, the central planners need to just plan for competition, right? We don't want central planners to be planning for everything because people are human and they have failings. And when you have just one or two people making decisions, they make mistakes and we get into trouble, which is the calamities of this world and why we really need to promote free market and competition. And the other thing is crony capitalism. A lot of people in the world think that capitalism is what crony capitalism is that they see. And, you know, the medical sector, the healthcare industry and medical researcher is just inundated with crony capitalistic problems. And that's what we need to get rid of to have a better medical ethics, public health and medical research. As it relates to wars, I think we can all agree that these senseless wars just need to end. And I think the overwhelming majority of humans really would like us to stop slaughtering or slaughtering each other on the battlefield over myths, misunderstandings, and issues that can be really resolved with negotiations if people went to the negotiation table with good faith and an open and kind heart. And I know that's incredibly idealistic of me. So we have this wonderful coalition across the political spectrum. It's Rage Against the War Machine. It's February 19th at the Lincoln Memorial. We'll start there at 1230. Then we'll go to the White House. And then there's a whole bunch of after activities, including an after party. The website is rageagainstwar.com. We've raised approximately $25,000. We have a $45,000 goal. It's incredibly expensive to have a rally at the Lincoln Memorial. And so we really hope that we can get more donations. But really, just more importantly, we want people to come and we want to meet you and we're going to collect your name and email address if you want us to. And we're going to take this coalition and maybe help to band together to resolve other issues in this world that we can all agree on and break the duopoly into a million pieces. And there's also the potential for transportation. We have some bus routes, so there's links to that. And there's also sister rallies that are going to be in other states. And so I really just hope people come. If you can't come, donate. There's a donation link. If you can't come or donate, then promote the event. And just, I hope people realize that what unites us is far greater than what divides us. And we really don't have to be arguing over all these things. And I know that's incredibly idealistic, but this coalition gives me a lot more faith in our world than humanity, to be honest with you. So I really appreciate the opportunity to promote the Rage Against the War Machine event. Of course. I'm glad to have you on to talk about the event and all these different topics of war and Christianity, libertarianism and individualism and decentralization, how these all tie together. I hope that the audience listening has been encouraged, educated, edified by the conversation. So if people want to learn more about you or your work with Liberty Speaks and the things that you're doing, just before we go here, do you have any plugs for those things if people want to check out the things that you do more? 
Yes. So we have a website. It's libertyspeaks.world. So you can contact us through there. We work closely with the Libertarian Party, with the Mises Caucus, but we are a nonpartisan organization. So we will work with anybody who has liberty in mind. So if you're interested in working with us on any type of coalition, please email us. Myself and Jorge Posada would love to talk to you. And we really like to work on projects that broaden the liberty movement. So that's a great way to reach out to us. Thank you so much for that. All right, everybody, that concludes today's episode. Thank you, Irene, for the conversation. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Biblical Anarchy will be taking a one-week hiatus, but we will be back after that one-week hiatus with more episodes and more content. We have some great conversations and topics that we're going to be covering. So during the week away, please go listen to some of the other great podcasts that are available on the Christians for Liberty Network, such as Reformed Libertarians or the Libertarian Christian Podcast or Faith Seeking Freedom or Good News, Bad News. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you again in a couple weeks. The Biblical Anarchy Podcast is a part of the Christians for Liberty Network, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. If you love this podcast, it helps us reach more with a message of freedom when you rate and review us on your favorite podcast apps and share with others. If you want to support the production of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, please consider donating to the Libertarian Christian Institute at biblicalanarchypodcast.com, where you can also sign up to receive special announcements and resources related to biblical anarchy. Thanks for tuning in.